G'day and welcome to Bums on the Bench. My name is Jacko. With me this afternoon, I'm joined by someone brand new. Brand new guest today. The other two didn't hold up last week. My guest this week is a man who on occasion will pat a goat. Only occasionally though has a, has a high tolerance for that. And has an outfit exclusively of Sydney Swans Sportswear. I'm joined this afternoon by my friend Andy. How are you, mate? Well, at least you picked the right area to put me in for an AFL team. Because if I was going to support a Sydney team in the AFL, I'd support the Swans. Yeah, I'd look better than GWS at the moment. Josh, uh, he's our third new guest that I was bringing on today. He's not here this week. He's stuck in traffic in the middle of Sydney somewhere. So Sucked in. He, he couldn't make it, which is really unfortunate because normally I like to have two guests every week. But Andy and I, were doing something different this afternoon. Yeah, we mean, we watched a bit of sport, but we kind of wanted to have a more serious discussion this afternoon because Andy did a bunch of research on concussion and concussion protocols around the world. So this one might be a little bit shorter, but it should actually be really informative. So Andy, why don't you just take it away, man? What have you found for us this week? Well, concussion something that's pretty near and dear to me because over my years I've suffered quite a few of them by doing dumb things, right? So the fact that the NRL has taken a stand to really ta- take on this concussion epidemic in the NRL has been sort of really good in my eyes. And there's been a lot of people who are like, they've been umming and ahhing about it. Like, obviously, you got fucking Paul Kent. It's like, uh, and Paul Gallant, uh, not Paul Gallant, fucking Phil Girls. like, this is a waste of time. But realistically, concussion's such a serious thing. And there's so many star players out there right now that are, genuinely looking at reti- early retirement due to the amount of concussions they've had. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So off the top of my head, we've got Kalen Ponga, who's looking like he's going to be out for a little while with some serious concussion. Luke Keery yep. another one who's always one hit away from, I guess, a career ending. Um, who else off the top of my head has said Boyd Cordner had his career cut short because of concussion. Jake Friend had his career cut short because of concussion. Yep. Um, Paps has been out before with concussion as well. So that's yep. just like off the top of my head. Those are the big people we can say who's either had their career ended or severely limited. We've also got, I guess, even worse cases of people who've left the game and since gone on to end their lives who have had serious head trauma throughout their career. Paul Green being the most recent example I can think of. Yeah. Other than that, we've had people like, is it James Graham say he'll donate his brain to science afterwards? Yes. James Graham's donating his brain. Um, I'd imagine some of the female ones are as well. I think Sammy Bromner said she was. From off the top of my head, I'm not 100% on that one, but I think she said she would. So it's... It is a major, major talking point, not only in the NRL, but in sports all around the world at the moment. Everyone seems to be on edge about the concussion issue. And so today on my day off, I have done extensive research on a lot of major sports around the, around the world just to see what how the NRL's new policy shapes up compared to all of theirs. And, well... I don't even know how to describe... Let's go through what the NRL is at the moment. And currently, in the NRL, if you are determined to have a HIA either via your trainer or the brain bunker, as they call it, which is the independent doctor, 
You'll be br- the player will be brought from the field for, to sit out for a mandatory fif- 15 minutes and they will have uh, impact tests and stuff done on them to determine whether they have a cat one, cat two concussion or if they're good to go. Now, if the player is deemed to have a category two or category one concussion, they will now be out for the rest of the game. And if you're a category one, you're actually sitting out for the next 11 days. But a category two can come back within a week if it's deemed okay by an independent doctor. So that, that's the current um, NRL protocol. And at all training sessions, there must be a camera filming high-impact uh, training sessions to make sure that any concussions that are sustained is also able to be reviewed by an independent doctor to s- determine whether there's been concussions happening at the training sessions as well, which I think is a really good move too. We've definitely improved, I want to say massively over the last four years, probably over the last 10 years of getting to the bottom of what concussion is, how it affects people and also how to best care for it. So I kind of, we're not doctors, we're not even close. I've, I've seen a doctor in my life before, but from my layman's understanding, a concussion is essentially a form of, I don't know, it was going to sound stupid, but concussive force to the soft tissue of the brain. Essentially, you get hit hard enough that your brain collides with aspects of your skull, which it can do at low impact relatively fine. That leads to cause, not bruising, because that's a far serious thing, but a kind of accumulation of micro brain trauma that for people like me, who never really did much contact sport a huge amount, and will have a good stack once or twice a year. I would probably say I've actually physically woken up concussed maybe two times in my life. And there's been a few days after like a big day on the motorbike taking some pretty like rough landings or things like that. You wake up and you're a little bit frazzled. Where the difference comes to sport versus us normally is that after we have a high impact, we get to sit on our ass for a period of months. Like we ain't going straight back to training or maybe we are with, if we're playing those sports, but the impact's not as great. So we get a lot of time in between these head knocks. Where I think we see a lot of issue with sport is the training involves a certain level of head knocks. The gameplay definitely does. And then most athletes like to do some pretty physical things outside of their work. So, you know, they're copying extra knocks there. And where I think a lot of the danger lies or what people are currently looking at is having those big one-off shots and then taking those days off is fine. One of the big issues we're tackling is that constant cumulative effect, never fully getting a massive proper rest to let the brain heal correctly. I don't know how medically true that is. That is something that was said on another sports show recently that I'm like, that doesn't sound insane. Like there's more than just what we see on the weekends. Yeah, I agree. And, Let's take last weekend, for example. We had three three head knocks which have been deemed Category 1 and have been... They're now, they're now not allowed to be selected this week. And that's Harmy Sally from the Rabbits, and he was knocked out within the first minute of the game because he had a bat, He tried to tackle a rooster. Yep, and he we was had, down. He was gone. Like you could As soon as he hit the ground, you're like, oh, he's done, sort of. That was how bad the hit was. You had Wade Egan from the Warriors. He took a his head hit the shoulder of a Tigers player. No, who they play? Who did they play? They played the Cowboys. Yeah, his head hit one of the Cowboys. He was down for the count. He's now out for the next two weeks. 
And Jack Murchie from the Eels, well, he took a head knock too, apparently, and he has been stood down for the next 11 days. On top of that, you had going into last weekend, Chance Nickel Clockstat was out from the Roosters game. Jackson Ford was also out from the Roosters game. Jake Simpkin was currently suffering from concussion protocol. Toby Couchman from your Dragons was in concussion protocol. Scott Sorensen from the Panthers. Jaden Braley from the Knights. And of course, good old Kalen is in concussion protocol. So that's, what is that? That's three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten players in the NRL currently out due to concussion. And it's week three. Going into week four. Now, some of these names have been named this weekend for the NRL because they were concussed prior to the new rules coming in last weekend. Oh, so these are brand new rules, the 11-day rules. Yeah, the 11-day rules literally were in effect from last weekend, which is why I thought today was a really good day to talk about it because we've had one round of the new concussion protocols and already we're seeing an effect. I guess the the first thing I really want to say about it is it is frustrating when you're watching a game and through a relatively moderate tackle or a slight knock, one of the star players or like the key figures, so someone in the spine or a marquee player is then taken out of the game for minimum of 11 minutes. Most 15 minutes. 15. Most often than not, they're out for the game and then possibly the next game. So I get the frustration as a viewer when seemingly innocent things remove people from the play of the game. However, I think they're doing the right sorts of steps here. Clearly, they've got a lot of medical staff on site who are advising them on what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. I will take players sitting out four or five games a year if it means they can play for three years longer and go on to live a really successful life after football. Because when we, I guess, as fans of sports, especially premier level sports, right? That's each nation's own version of footy. And then motorsports and basketball, right? Those are your big ones. Everyone gets heads and knocks in all of them. Our interaction is such a short-term transaction with these people, right? We watch them from the age of about 18, 19 to the age Mm -hmm. of maybe 30, maybe 35. So we get... And that's if they stay, right? So we get, on average, 10, 15 years out of what you can say would be an 80-year lifespan. The reason so many sports around the world are making these changes is they have a legal duty of care for their employees. These guys are employees of the NRL or NBA. So they're looking at that whole life plan and care, and I think that's a good thing. I think that they're doing the right things. I also don't like a lot of the criticism that's been flowing about it because we need to look at it in a larger scope because that's why these decisions are being made. I agree. And if we take the other two major sports in this country, AFL and Rugby Union, they've got two, I don't want to say similar, but different policies when it comes to concussion. So for the AFL, if you're diagnosed with a concussion, you cannot return to training or playing for a minimum of 12 days after the head injury has been sustained. So that's just a flat 12 days out. Rugby Union, this is from the World Rugby website, this one. And I think this is the best one of the lot, to be honest. And that's including all the ones I've I've discovered over the last 24 hours. So let's say you get a concussion in Rugby Union, right? First of all, they don't speak normally to begin with because they're playing Rugby Union. <laughs> Got to make the jokes where we can. <laughs> but if, you're, if you have a confirmed concussion and you have a concussion history, 
So you you're flat out. You've had like multiple concussions. You remain in stage one protocol until seventy two hours post your third HIA assessment, which I'll get into in a minute. Okay. And you cannot return to play for a minimum of twelve days. That that's so for players like Kalen and Luke Keary, they if they get a concussion, that they're out for the next two weeks. But if you you're someone who's like a oh let's pull a player out of my ass, Brandon Smith, he hasn't really had concussion issues in the past. Players d- so in stage one, players who are displaying obvious onside on-pitch signs of concussion, criteria one, they're immediately and permanently removed from play and at the completion of an off-field assessment tool is no longer required. However, if you aren't showing those symptoms but you get a concussion, so you, you fall under criteria two, you both have to go into HIA2 protocol. HIA2 protocol indicates that within three hours of the game, full-time being blown, you have to go and see a medical professional and have a HIA assessment with them. After this, you go into stage three, which is 36 to 72 hours post-concussion. You then have to go for a third assessment. And if you pass that, you can return to playing in seven days. However, at stage two or stage three, even if you were diagnosed no concussion on site, if you were diagnosed with a concussion in stage two or stage three, you cannot return to the field unless you are... 12 days post-diagnosis of the concussion. So not post-days from the game, post-diagnosis. So in stage three, 72 hours after the game, that's classified as day zero of your concussion, not the, the game. So you could be out for up to 15 days at that point. Yep. I like it. I'm, I'm with you on this, Andy. It seems like it is a really tough schedule with as many like checks and balances as you can rightfully throw out some the time scale is really intelligent too the fact that they mark it from your diagnosis not the day of the game is important because i think one of the things that we're learning more and more about concussion and how it affects the brain is it's not always immediate no it's not a lot of these players are having delayed symptoms like a great example is james tedesco in the Rabbits Roosters finals week one game last year. James was taken off for a HIA within the first 10 minutes. 15 minutes later, he's told, yep, you're all good to go. Just sit on the bench for till we can get a, a chance to sub you back on. In that time from when he was told, yep, he's good to go to them getting ready to sub him on, he actually started developing symptoms and then was categorized as category one and was not allowed to return to the game. But he'd passed all his HIA assessments and then was told, no, actually, you can't go and return to the game. And that was a big swing on the Roosters because we ended up losing that game, not having James out on the field. Yeah, uh, it was the right call to make too because these symptoms that do show up aren't healthy. Like any any symptom you're getting of an illness is a warning sign that your body needs either an additional thing to heal or time and space to heal. Like it's our body's way of communicating its internal needs to us that we might not necessarily be able to cognitively be aware of. It's the same reason when you eat something dodgy and then your stomach starts to rumble and you know it's a difference. You can tell there's a difference between this is going to be a a run-of-the-mill toilet time or this is going to be one where pants are probably coming off. 
Yeah. It's not it's gonna be a mess. So these signs that are getting sent to the body take any amount of time to develop. <laughs> and we've seen yeah. it numerous times. Looking back at Paps when he had to sit out a good chunk of last year due to his head, when he was returning, there was a bunch of interviews where he did and he said I felt zombified in my own body for weeks after some of these big head knocks where I'm just not able to get my brain into any gear that I needed to operate in. I can still eat. I can still walk around. Like my basic functioning is fine, but it's like you're stuck in first or second gear. Exactly. And that that seems to be a lot of like all around the world. Everyone's not looking at like them living. It's looking at their cognitive function and how they like interpret what's going on around them. That's what these protocols seem to be looking at. They want these players to return at peak like the, at their peak, they don't want to return them and they're still like a bit groggy and stuff. Like, for example, in the NBA, if you're diagnosed with a concussion in the NBA, you cannot return to the game until you've gone through a return to participation extension process. doesn't matter if the doctor says you're all good. If you can't pass this, you can't return to the game. You know what I mean? Yep. And that and that start, it's, it's a very gradual thing. So it starts with a stationary bike, starts with some jogging, a little light agility work and non-contact team drills. Each step of the process leads them back up to full contact and by the time that they pass this, they're basically at their peak physical conditioning and they're definitely not suffering from concussion. There's no time frame put in place for how long this can take in the NBA as well. If you, if you suffer it on week, like game 60, you could be out for the rest of the year if you can't get if you can't pass this process, you know what I mean? And it's an 82-game season. That sounds like a brilliant system. NBA has always been particularly good at looking after their athletes' welfare, though. We've seen it a Definitely. few times over here when we send our football players over to U.S. sports centers for treatment. So Paps has gone, Latrell's gone, and a few others have gone over the past. Where yeah, but they've the been more for like injuries in their legs and stuff. Like Latrell went over for his hamstring. Travojevic went over for his hamstring. Pat went over for his kneecap. It's not been... There hasn't been many going over there because of their head, you know what I mean? No, but the fact that we're sending people over there for physical injuries means they're clearly doing something about injury management in all forms that we don't necessarily have available in-house in Australia. Do you know what I mean? Those US sports organizations are behemoths. Like, we are talking billions of dollars flow through these organizations yearly. Clearly a bigger portion of that has been, and it has been, we know what the US is like culturally. If you're making money, you get the money. So these sports make an insane amount of money. They have a lot more money to throw at these issues, but a part of that has been athlete welfare. They have the best training facilities, the best medical personnel. Like They are the best in the world at sports management in general. So I don't think we need to send people over there for concussion management, but clearly... The NBA is looking at this in a way that we're not. Yeah. I don't know exactly what our doctors are getting our players to do. After the 15 minutes, it's it's pretty obvious. It's like the eye refractory test. It'd be the Glasgow Coma Scale assessment. It would be basic coordination drills, question and answering. It would be what you would expect for a concussion treatment. This US basketball version of looking at them in the basics of their game, which is measurable and visually available, plus with your scientists measuring at the same time, seems to be a really intelligent way of ensuring the players are well and healthy. Would that exact system work? Probably not. We're talking about a game 
of five players. With And they also play up to three games a week yeah. in the NBA, whereas over here we're playing one game a week. What needs to change or what needs to be given out more regularly to people is explaining not only the science we're using behind our concussion protocols, but explaining the reasons why. I already spoke earlier about the fact that, you know, they're looking at these guys over a whole lifespan thing. We need the NRL itself to communicate their intentions behind these things. Player safety, obviously, duh. But unless you're breaking it down for the average fan who only kind of watches the games and that's it, they're probably not understanding this because they're not viewing everything that we are able to see, which is the the four days after training where they're really, really struggling at home. And then, you know, you're talking about family stress of the partner having to look after someone in a higher capacity, plus their children, plus the rest of their lives. Like if the NRO was communicating more effectively that way, I don't think we'd see as much animosity of it. Where I think it's going very wrong is we're letting these players have too many uninformed opinions about these things. So yep. the biggest shows like NRL 360 or <laughs> Maddie Johns, not that Maddie gets into anything too controversial, he keeps it pretty clean, or just like the Sunday ticket where you have pundits talking about this, they've not once ever sat there and gone, and here's actually our brain doctor that we use to talk to us. You have either invested party interests in football going well or current football players who I have a lot of respect for in regards to their football. Everything else, we're equal. There's too many opinions floating down to the average fan from players when it's like, oh, you know, I I don't feel that bad. It's like, well, you're front rower. You only ever feel hunger and anger, first of all. And secondly, exactly. you're not qualified to be like, well, it's I'm probably going to be fine in 60 years. You don't know that. I think, I think a cr- classic example of that is just look at everyone keeps talking about how the game's going soft these days, right? Like you hear it from Phil Gould, you everybody, hear it from everybody. You I, hear it from every dude at the pub. Oh, it's soft. It's not like it used to be back in the day. Yeah. And like when you think about that, well, let's go back to, I want to say it was the 67 or 69 grand final. And unfortunately, this fella passed away. Literally yesterday, it was John Sattler. John Sattler played the whole grand final with a broken jaw. Now, in our day, it's 1970 grand final, sorry, and he was playing it against Manly. He broke his jaw in the op- like in the opening exchanges. And, like, what he had to do was he bit down on his mouth guard to hold his jaw in place. And he played the rest of the game like that. Now, in our day and age, we see someone with a broken jaw. They're, they're immediately they're not fucking touching that field. You know what I mean? But yeah, back in the set, weeks, weeks. Yeah, and they're out for up to ten weeks. A great example: Danny Levi broke his jaw on the weekend. He's out for ten weeks now because he's got Corey a broken Oates, jaw. Last weekend, had his jaw broken. Xavier Savage in the preseason, jaw broken. Yep, jaw broken. Head injury. And if and people are talking about how the game went soft, Johnny Sattler. Famously, after the game, after he gets carted off, he's got blood pissing out of his mouth. They, they want to interview him. Like All the journos want to interview him, and they, they go to the coach. like, hey, can you get Sats up here? We want to interview him. Sat, so the coach runs down to get Sats, and he's just like, hold up, I'm having a bath. Give me five. He wasn't having a bath. He was trying to get his jaw repositioned so that he could do the interview to not show that he was injured 
because he wanted to get picked for Australia that night. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what they this is the level of toughness that was coming from those days. But I think nowadays, yeah, it seems a bit softer, but the players are way more protected and will be able to play longer. You know what I mean? And go on to just live normaler <laughs> lives after this sport. Like, it's it's not everyone who makes it 10, 15 years in a top league sport. Like, average career length would only be like seven years, including a drop here and there to like reserves. Yes, while that is incredibly tough, it is also incredibly stupid and dangerous. Even Cameron yeah. Munster coming back on with that open wound, even though they taped it, still made me feel nervous because there is still a risk of it of worse injuries. In regards to like the the softness of the game, the the things I see normally targeted are the the one you're not allowed to like hit people in the head or shoulder charges. The yeah. fact that our scrums aren't full contact anymore; they're just a bit of decoration on the field. And that, yeah, you're just not allowed to pull off dangerous tackles. Yeah, while it doesn't look as cool, I guess, these athletes are also, on average, 15 kilos heavier than they were in the 70s of pure muscle. The body physique is insane of most modern football players, except for Blake Laurie. (laughs) On top of that, they're also running a lot quicker. So these impacts, while they aren't hitting someone around the throat anymore the weight and the impact of these tackles is twice it used to be 20 years ago. Remember back in the day, when back in our day, early 2000s, right, when we were kids, Sonny Bill Williams would put a shoulder charge on and we'd all think it was the greatest thing in the world. But now everyone is Sonny Bill's size. Like back then he was a genetic freak. Most front rowers now look like Sonny Bill Williams. Most Except Blake Laurie. <laughs> except for Blake Laurie. And Mitchell. But what we're seeing now is highly developed humans. Like, this is their full-time job. When they're not on the field playing, they're doing things that will allow them to play harder and better on the field. We don't see the toll that takes because they all look the same. It's why NRLW is fun to watch every now and then because you've got these massive, short, stocky, round forwards and tiny, tiny little... It's like watching footy from the 70s. Your backs are all these tiny little 70 to maybe like 70 max. I'm talking like 55 kilo girls playing up against 80 kilo front rowers. In the men's, I don't think there's a single person below 80 kilos. And I don't think there's maybe any more than two or three above 110. Yeah. Everyone is very big and very strong. That takes an internal effect because while the body and the muscle and the bones have gotten stronger, the brain hasn't evolved yet to deal with those impacts. It's why we have all these safety things in cars. Humans aren't designed for that level of contact. That and if you look at, And if you look at some of the hits that have happened in recent memory, like if I go back to 2018, Cooper Cronk, the hit that broke his clavicle, that was the equivalent of being in a car crash, that tackle. Yep. Then there's yep, the hits that Felice Cafusi has been putting on over the past few weeks. Those hits have been remarkably good hits. They look like car crashes. And these guys are getting up and playing the ball, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's all still there. I think people are annoyed too. The scrums, I want to talk about that because I enjoy a little bit of union here and there. When was the last time you sat down and watched a game of union? Uh, 
I don't remember the last time I filmed. I don't remember the last time I filmed Union because I don't go out of my way to watch it. Yeah, no, it's so it's been a very long time, right? I watch Union one game every couple of weeks. In the NRL, what happens if someone does something wrong in the scrum? Penalty. Penalty. What happens if no one does anything wrong? How long does it take? Ten seconds. Ten seconds. That. Twenty that's seconds. If they hold the ball, that's if they hold the ball at the back of the scrum. Yep. You know what I mean? Like they're over within. They're over within an instant. Yep. And the whole point of a scrum too isn't to have this massive roaming pack of forwards. It's to literally break up the offensive and defensive lines for a tackle. That's it. Union, the scrums are a lot more competitive, but they take a very, very long time. So you've got yep. the the positioning aspect of it where everyone has to get down and hoik. You've got the bind where the first contact is made, and then you've got the actual pushing aspect of the scrum. All of that, needs to be very, very carefully refereed. The referee is instrumental. He will literally tell people where to put their heads to help reduce these levels of contact. I think the NRL made a decision that let's just not bash their fucking heads together five times a match. Let's just, all right, touch. Let's keep playing. Because it allowed the game to speed up and be more athletic without having the level of care that rugby union has towards how they treat head highs and head contact because they're some of the best in the world at it because it is such a head down game. You watch most hit-ups, both players put their heads down. The second they're rucking on the ground, everyone's got their heads down and forward. Scrums, heads are connecting left and right of you. But it all takes time and leads to lots of stoppages and lots of resetting of the play because people don't always get it right. Yet, they're awesome when they look good. But when you're there and it's been four and a half minutes and the ref hasn't blown a penalty yet, it is a waste of time. I agree. But don't don't discredit the fact that in the NRL there are protocols. You can push back on the scrum. That is a that is a play that can happen if you're against the edge of uh, against the run of play. You can push back and get the ball back. It just rarely happens because nine times out of ten, the team that had the ball just falls up, breaks the scrum up, and it's a penalty to the other team. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and you see that a lot. I've seen a couple, I think maybe one in the preseason. It was in the Sharkies game. They they successfully got the ball back in the scrum. They pushed. But, it again, it's our game hasn't gone soft. It's evolved. And where I think people are struggling is no one likes change. So I've got a couple of family members, and they're a generation above me, who really struggle to watch the footy now because it's not what they remembered. Therefore, they instantly jump to, well, something's gone wrong and it's bad now. When in reality, it's like, no, mate, you just didn't keep up with the updates that are going. The NRL is awesome at the moment. Like, this has been one of the most... Look at your tips. They're shot through, right? Mine are buggered. Joshy's a crap. Everyone we know has horrible tips. That means the season's really good. Yeah, definitely. Like, teams have beat teams that they have no right to beat. Other teams have come into the competition and done things that they have no right to do absolute juggernauts of teams who haven't had that much disruption are nowhere. So while things have changed, they've gotten better. Like the game is super exciting. It's like, it's why we win the World Cup because our game is constantly changing and what we're expecting of our players athletically is constantly getting further and further up there. A couple of years ago, everyone realized that kicking into the in goal was a great way to get points. So what they all do, got a bunch of AFL boys to come up and go, hey, can you teach us how to catch these balls up in the air above our heads? That never used to happen. You don't see it a huge amount in the Super League. They'll grubber into the in goal, but they don't often bomb it into the in goal like we see. Um, 
other things that have changed that have made it infinitely better has been, I mean, I'm still a big fan of the two referee days. That's the only mm-hmm. real big change I'd bring back in. I've always said I like the two refs. Having that extra person there made it feel more balanced. Um, it's a brilliant sport. We should probably wrap back to concussions a little bit here where let's see what happens in the next few weeks. I want the NRL to fix their messaging and start communicating better with the, with the fans about why and how they're bringing these changes in even though it's obvious, but I still think they need to make a better effort there. And then also, I'd like to see the players stop communicating about these changes. If they're being taken off the field, of course they're going to think it's a bad idea. If they're seeing less of what they love, they're not going to like it. That's human nature. Their perspective needs to shift. I reckon it should probably go through the the players' alliance or the the union that they have. Um, RLPA. To be like the commun just as the communication form be like, okay, please, you're not allowed to speak randomly about this anymore. We will be putting out communications on this. Because I don't know if enough of the actual NRL players have sat down with their medical personnel and gone, Hey, look, bro, you're twenty one years old. You have sixty more years we need to be ready for at a minimum to help yep. them understand. Because the mixed messaging we're getting is really frustrating. Another thing that needs to be clamped down on too with the messaging behind this is the the people in the media, like you feel good, your Paul, the people who are adamantly against this. They, these guys need to be told, shut the fuck up. I don't care if you're against this. We need to do this for player welfare. It's not, it's not about your opinion. Oh, the game's gone soft. Oh, back in my day, we could do it. It doesn't fucking matter anymore. The game's changed so much in the last 30 years that Phil Gould's... What what the game was when Phil Gould played and when Phil Gould coached, it's it's completely different these days. And the fact that he's allowed to go on free TV and adamantly bash the NRL for this stuff, I think it's Phil Gould. If it's not Phil Gould, it's fucking Buzz Rodfield. One of them. And I don't... I'm not... And this is all with an alleged leak because I can't remember who it is. It's all allegedly because I can't remember which one it is, but I think it's one of those two. You're, look, you're pretty safe to come out and say that, like, we know these guys are out there talking shit. It's really frustrating, too, because we've just, as a world, come out of two or three years of really, really intense medically related misinformation, information, and changing information, right? Like, that took a yep. massive toll on so many people's friendships, on a lot of people's employment. Millions of people fucking died. It's really frustrating that we can now allow unqualified people on free to, as you're saying, to come out and essentially spread medical false information or partially incorrect information. Just because it has some aspects of truth doesn't mean you're allowed to come out and say you disagree with it yet. I believe that the NRL is doing their best to follow the correct medical advice. I see no gain from them by making these decisions. There's no monetary gain. There's no... Fan, you know what I mean? These aren't popular choices across the board. If you think about it, it, it's negatively impacting the game because let's say you lose Jerome Hughes or like one of the superstar players due to a HIA in the opening minute that and the game becomes a dead rubber. Like, how is that gonna reflect on the NRL? It's like, oh, these are two top of the table leaders and both their star players were taken out in the opening minutes due to HIA. And it, it would you're sitting there just watching them sit on the bench 
fine. And I do that yeah, with the fine. bunny ears, fine. Because they're medically not okay, but they look okay. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not, it's not helping the NRL doing this, but they're doing this to help the NRL, if that makes sense. It's not helping them in the short game, but long term, we've got these players on the field for longer in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah, and be and around. we get to we get to experience it and enjoy them for a bit longer rather than them getting to twenty six like Kalen, and Kalen now has to make a decision whether he's going to keep playing or not. Yeah, to we know he's up, going to. Yeah, to essentially sit there and give up the thing you have spent what you've dedicated your life to, like to be an NRL player, you start when you're eight years old. Exactly. You start when you're ten years old. You get serious in your teenage years, but like. This is most of what he has dedicated his life to. And now you're having to sit there. We saw it with Boyd at 28 years old, my age, sit there and have to medically retire from the job he loved, from playing for Australia, captaining the Blues, like at the peak of an NRL career. He had to give up everything he cared about because he knew it was the safest thing for him and the people around him to do. We are learning so much more about concussion as we are having these long-term study groups, which are players from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, watching them as they age. I know it's big in the NFL at the moment. They're taking a serious look at player welfare after the fact. Well, I've got the NFL concussion protocol, if you're interested. What it is currently after... So... After extensive study, what what happens is if you are deemed to have a concussion or showing concussion symptoms, doesn't matter if you've got one or not, but if you're showing symptoms, you're out of the game. That's it. You're out of that game or training session. You enter concussion protocols and you're not allowed back into the game until basically the symptoms have completely subsided. A medical physician from the team has said, yep, you're all good. And an unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant has cleared you to return to play. That's how in-depth the NFL is going here. And that's just with current players. I know they're currently looking at the welfare of a lot of their players from the last few decades to be like, well, hold on. We've got hundreds of these dudes all around the country. We need to start checking these guys out and getting them to agree to post-mortem activities to just find out what we're doing. The solution isn't helmets. For our sport, that's not what a concussion comes from. Yes, it can limit parts of it, but really it's the brain contacting the skull. That there's doesn't no way really to protect change. that. No, no, not look, not ever, not unless humans evolve, but we're a famously slow evolving species. It's going to take generations of multiple more humans receiving head trauma to begin that process. We're talking like hundreds of thousands of people over hundreds of thousands of years. That's not an option there. What I do think is an option and what I think would balance out the player loss aspect of the sport would be essentially just expanding the size of the squads. So it would mean salary cap adjustment, first of all. That would need to go a little bit higher, but it would also mean that players would have to be, or clubs would have to be a lot smarter about these bigger deals we're offering to people, right? Like perhaps like Tommy, who are taking these injuries and then they're out for months and they're locking up most of a salary cap or like the biggest portion of the salary cap 
I'd like to see that extended. Instead of you have your starting 13, you would then have a bench of eight. Yeah. Right? Well, it's funny you should it's funny you should actually bring this up because today, today, there was an article out there that the NRL is actually discussing expanding the current team rosters from 30 to 38 to equalize and balance out the amount of injuries and concussions these players are sustaining. It would yep. include probably a, sal- a major salary cap increase, but clubs would have to really think about this because all of a sudden you've got to fill out an extra eight slots on your roster and you don't want to fill those with just rookies because God forbid you have a Roosters run of the past few years and you have three quarters of your starting players on the injury list. You know what I mean? Yep, similar to Melbourne start of this year. They've lost, I want to say, five or six big money players from their starting 13. Like, yep. it would force the teams to go, hey, when you're healthy, man, you're a million-dollar player. But if you take one knock and you're out for two games, suddenly we're paying you $1.1 million for less games. If you're out with a serious injury, regardless of it being head or body trauma – if you're out with a serious injury, man, like Tommy the last couple of years, that man got paid like $1.2 million to play four games of rugby league, which is fantastic for his bank account. Bloody terrible for him and the physical state of his body. With my thing about reserves, I'd like to see expanded to eight. And the second yep. someone's taken off for HIA and they're out of the game, boom, that person is now allowed to be put on free of charge. Instead of just having the 14th man, you would have four HIA reserves, right? The second someone's off with HIA and they're not coming back, boom, they're activated. They now sit on the regular bench and they can be interchanged freely under the HIA system. Yeah, I do like that idea. I also... I I think clubs should be compensated. Sorry. Sorry. Okay, go on. I think clubs should should be compensated with salary cap relief for these major injuries to major stars, like with Tommy, for example. Like, Tommy was... Tommy was out for how long last year? He played like four games. I don't know if he got salary cap dispensation because he was out for so long, but I feel like the NRL should have insurance in place so clubs, A, it doesn't come out of their cap if they're playing a $1.1 million player to sit on sit on his ass and heal for 12 months. You know what I mean? And it has to be declared. It's similar to like an injury reserve in the NFL. In the NFL, they have a system called the injury reserve list where you can put a player on that and then automatically their salary become or a portion of their salary becomes available to you to pick up a replacement until they're healed. You know what I mean? And I feel yep. like the NRL should do something like that because all of a sudden, let's take Angus Crichton for an example. He was stood down prior to the season beginning due to personal reasons and bipolar d- diagnosis. Roosters have applied for salary cap dispensation. I don't know if they got it or not. But if he w- if we had an injury reserve list... They throw him on there. We can get an impact player that could that could basically fill his role for a few weeks until he's good to go. You know what I mean? Yeah, something... I We both agree that something needs to be done around the finances of these teams to give them the freedom to put player welfare and health as the main priority because they clearly want to. Like, no one wants these players to get hurt. But no. that's a massive, massive burden on the rest of the club where you're like, okay, our year might be off. We might not get to the finals. We may lose a sponsorship deal. Our membership will go down. Our ticket sales will go down. Our venue revenue will go down. Our merch will go down. All these things will go down that affect club income as a whole 
not only just the salary cap of the actual player not being able to play. Like, Roosters finals games, normally always a sellout. Home games in Wollongong happen five or six times a year. You never get more than four or 5,000 people there. Yeah, well, I, did actually, I didn't think of it from the perspective of the club as hell as well. Obviously, being a Roosters supporter, my club's always going to be there. They're not They're not in any danger of going financially bankrupt. No. But for, club, but for clubs like the West Tigers, clubs like... Who else would we say in that, that position? St. George Illawarra has been struggling as a club yep. for a little while now. Yeah, like all these clubs that are at the bottom, the arse end of the table where fans are fed up with the way the clubs run and stuff, they get six or seven injuries to star players in a running out practically a reserve grade team. No one's coming to those games. No one's buying their merch. No one's buying tickets to the games. No one's buying concessions at the games. That's a lot of revenue that these clubs are losing. You know what I mean? Like I didn't think of it from that perspective, but you're completely right. There's a lot more thought that needs to go into this as people who enjoy the NRL as a sport. Like, yes, we all have our particular teams, but we're also fans of this code of football and what it gives to us each week. And I think all of this needs to be communicated better to allow this hive mind that we're a part of to have a deeper understanding and go, okay, instead of me now jumping on Twitter or Instagram and either agreeing with someone's hot take or making my own version of it and fighting the NRL, all grouped together and go, you know what? Just make the right changes and do it properly because we want to support this. But yeah, it would be nice to know that a club, say if you do lose a big star player who you're paying a million dollars to, okay, he's out. Well, we're still able to financially support him, but we have some form of dispensation that we can either now elevate someone to a full-time deal or snag someone from the pool. There is that a transfer pool available, the loan pool, you can snag someone from there and go, okay, awesome. We now still have a competitive football team. So there's exactly. a couple of like Star Wars teams that it doesn't matter who they seem to lose, they're going to do fine. But there's only like three or four of those teams out of 17. Yeah, so like for the most part, like if the Dragons, for example, if we lost Ben Hunt at the moment, we would lose all of our playmaking, all of our kicking, our captaincy, also the most experience on the field. Like, he's a million-dollar player for us. That's what we pay him every year. Us losing that, our season's already not looking good. But that's it. Like, we do not have someone else who can step into all six of those hats that he wears. I got someone who could step into all those hats and do it effectively for the Dragons. Be careful about who you say. <laughs> Blake Laurie. <laughs> He'd make an all right six, I reckon. He'd be a good running six. Um... But yeah, hopefully the NRL focuses on the club's financial aspect to allow everybody to put player safety at the forefront. I I agree completely with these new changes they're bringing in. That's a positive. There's yeah. still work that needs to be done, though. I, th- I think the work that needs to be done is on those low-lying teams, though, because... I hate to keep bringing them into it, but they you've got to understand the Roosters are one of the best clubs to suffer a concussion at because they will not let you on the field under any circumstance. Look what they've done with Luke Keary. Look what they've done with Boyd. Like, you've got to imagine Boyd Cordner did not want to retire. It was the Roosters said to him, he's like, mate, come on. Like, you've You're got done. to retire. Yep. You know what I mean? But at a club like the Tigers where, let's say, Adam Dewey suffers a Cat 1 HIA, under the old protocol, he's probably playing the next week. He's probably still under symptoms of concussion. 
but the Tigers desperately needed him on the field. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's a position they're put in. They're put in these positions where, and the players do too, like we also need to take into the account the mental stress this takes on the players. Not only are they out injured too, but their whole life, they would feel some form of regret or guilt about not being there for their team every week. Like no player likes being sat on the sideline. That aspect too would take a mental toll, especially if you're on a higher salary, right? Like say Adam Dewey, yep. for example. If he's out for a significant portion of time and the Tigers don't win a single game, first of all, normal year for the Tigers, but there would be a mental toll that's put on him as someone who knows he's a positive effect on the field for their team's performance. That's an additional aspect too is what are we doing to manage how these players feel about themselves when they're placed in these positions? Well, that, that's what I really like about what the, the NRL's done now, how they've taken the decision away from the players. Because they did an independent study uh, two years ago. I think the Roosters doctor did an independent study, anonymous study of the players, and 96% said that they hid concussion symptoms from the doctor so that they could keep playing for their team. That was yep. the result of the, the survey. And it's like, all right, well, now we've taken the decision out of the player's hands. If a doctor says you're not good to go, then you're not good to go. It doesn't matter whether you want to or not anymore, which I think is a very good step forward for the NRL. Brilliant. And, of course, people were faking their results. Like, that's natural to what people do when they want something. They will do anything they can to get it. And if that means putting yourself at significant risk so you can go there and play a game which you're really good at and you like... Yeah, of course you're going to lie to do it. I'm not shocked by the results of the finding. Happy that the NRL is taking that decision away from clubs and players by being like, no, sorry, it's not safe for you to make these choices because you're not going to choose in your overall best interest. Exactly. Do, Do we think that the NRL is on a general upward trend overall? In regards to concussion or in regards to injury or in regards to the game All in general? Yes and no. I think I think these these protocols they brought in for concussion is definitely a step forward for the game. I think that makes the game... The game's understanding, yeah, this is a major problem in, this, in the world of sport today. So they're, they're, they're trying to make a step forward and they're doing the right thing, taking the decision away from the players and making it an independent doctor that's doing it. Uh, as for the game overall, I think there's aspects of the game that is moving forward and making the game really good but right now, but there's aspects behind the scenes that are ruining the game for a lot of people out there, and that, that includes dodgy deals behind the scenes uh, at those lower market teams, uh, teams trying to basically, the talent pool in the NRL seems to be locked up in about four different clubs, you know what I mean? Which is it's killing the league, yeah. unfortunately, and the salary cap yep. was brought in to sort of distribute that talent. But teams are finding ways to get that talent to stick to, like the Roosters. They're sticking to Melbourne. They're sticking to Brisbane. You know what I mean? They're sticking to those bigger markets because in those bigger markets, they're making a shitload more third-party deals than they would at the Tigers, at the St George Dragons, at the Raiders. Even you know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's all very good points. And like honestly, I got to commend you for an incredible amount of self-awareness to realise that the Roosters are one of the worst offenders of that. You and Melbs? I know we're a salary sombrero club. I admit it. I love yeah. the fact that, that that's a thing because we get yeah. all the good talent. We get all the good players. Too bad we can't 
fucking use it half the time. <laughs> but That's I karma, mate. I know, but it, I understand that the Roosters are a club that are notorious for poaching talent. Like, fuck, we got Brandon Smith away from the Melbourne Storm. We've got Dom Young coming down from the Knights. The Knights is a huge club, huge population in Newcastle, and we've just taken one of their star young players and put him on a half half a million dollar years deal. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's um, it's crazy. For me, as someone who just kind of spends the majority of my interaction with the sport just watching the game, the only thing I'd like to see changed is a little bit of how the bunker's used. But in order to make any changes there, we need to have an insane increase in the quality of our refereeing. I agree. So the biggest change I'd like to bring in is there needs to be some form of marking system and referees held to account in order to bring about fairer results. Because at the point we're making now is the referees will admit when they've made mistakes, but there seems to be no punishment at all for not being good at your job. Like, yep, I get it. You're going to make a wrong call here and there. Everybody does. That's normal. What's giving me the craps at the moment is you can watch a game and go, this is objectively one-sided. Not all the numbers line up that way because, you know, they count six against but they don't count six agains on the first tackle versus the last tackle. Yeah. So there's the balancing that some referees will do. It should be another independent group who goes, okay, so here's every time you made a call this week and X amount percentage were correct and your game was rated at this level of fairness overall. Fans should have nothing to do with it. It should be completely behind closed doors. And if you don't make enough or your score isn't high enough on average – you actually aren't allowed to referee in the first grade. We need another 10 referees, I'd say, to help supplement this, create the competition within this group of referees to be better at what they do. I'd like to add on that. I want them to not be able to go to the bunker. At all? At all. What what I'd like is like an EPL VAR system, sort of. So you make the on-field call of try or no try, right? There's no, you can't just blow the whistle. Yeah, can you go up and check it for me? No, none of that shit. You you make the fi- the call on this field, whether it's a try or no try. As soon as that happens, you've got 30 seconds time off, completely off on the, the clock, so we're not wasting game time here. Bunker has 30 seconds to review it. If they think there's an issue, he then goes down to the referee and the referee can call for the video referee. He can't just call for it straight away. So similar... Similar now to how it happens for some tries, if that makes yeah, sense. Okay, cool. I have seen some of that, but no, I think that's a far better way just to but have. It, it's a just quick thirty second. Quick thirty seconds. You just watch everything because it, it seems to be within thirty seconds. You get that little graphic at the bottom of the screen. Try confirmed, or you hear the the thing. Yeah, we need to go upstairs and have a look at it. But they don't get to make the decision in the bunker. Referee then runs over and watches it on screens himself, and he makes the call. De- based on what video evidence is presented presented to him. It's not a third-party yeah, senior brilliant. official making a call in Sydney. He's just presenting the referee with the video evidence he says to say overturn it, and the referee on field makes the decision. I'd brilliant. much prefer Absolutely that brilliant. than the way it's working right now because the, the third-party official in the bunker, A, doesn't know what he's doing, and B, has... Like, yeah, they get the call right 95% of the time, but it takes so much time away from the game. I agree. Also, I like the aspect of making it more about the referee who is there. Like, yeah, of course you're not going to see everything. That's what the replay's for. But 
the only change I'd make to your system is it would then have to be consensus with the two touchies on viewing that. So if yeah. two out of three agree, it goes to the referee's call. If it's not... Oh, well, it can't be split. There's only three. There's only three of them on the so field. Yeah, so it therefore, just has to be... It, it, it makes perfect sense because if you think about it in the NBA, when there's a decision under review, all three of them come together and watch it and they all make the decision there and the senior official announces it to the crowd. At the NFL... The three main referees are the ones that go over and look at the challenges or the official review and then make the decision. Most other sports union in the EPL, it's the it's only the main referee that goes over and makes the decision. It's not the fucking touchies. Touchies, they're there to determine offside or not. That's it. In the NRL, yeah. in the EPL, they go over, they watch it, and then they make the judgment whether the VAR says so or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think that's just. It's got to be the most sensible way to do it, right? That's kind of what everyone else is doing. Yeah, everyone else seems to be, it's the referee's decision. We'll just give them the, the evidence to sort of make his mind up. You know what I mean? Like, we, we'll present them with the evidence of, hey, yeah, this this guy's sort of, look, you can see his foot's over the line, but it's your decision. It's your call. It's not Jared Sutton's decision in the bunker down in Sydney. You know what I mean? It's Todd Smith's call on the field. Yeah, no, I agree. Look, I think that's a fantastic it needs to be done because that's where a lot of animosity is around these calls being made yep. where it's like, so the referee agrees with us. The one in the bunker doesn't. Therefore, the one in the bunker is more correct. Yeah, no, it needs to be the referee on field. And if we take the decision, if you, they can't all of a sudden, oh, I'm not really sure about that. I'm just going to time off. I want I want you to check a Gids or whatever his name is in the thing. And I want you to check this, this, and this. It's like, no. If you you should be seeing it that the whole point of the referee and if you look at bush league and stuff they don't have video referees and nine times out of ten they people just accept the damn call it doesn't matter if it's a try or a no try if the referee calls it a try oh, I guess it's a try isn't it you know what I mean and watching everything in slow motion does seem to convey a different perspective of the sport as a whole like in full yep. speed you watch a high shot and you go oh that seemed like it glancing in slow motion you see every intimate detail and you go, oh, that looked heaps worse than it was. Same for just general flow of the play, double movements, the same thing. Yeah. Like in full motion, he didn't adjust his arm at all. But in slow motion, you saw him flex his shoulder a little bit because he's grinding along the ground, therefore no try. Exactly. Like I just and I think your decision of grading them is a good idea too. And if you if you fall below average two weeks in a row, you're refereeing Reggie's for the next two weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, you, there has to be some form of actual punishment because that's the thing, right? Like, you need some ability as a fan base and as a play group to get that revenge for when something's gone wrong. The revenge yep. should never be verbal abuse. The revenge should never be threatening anybody personally. It's just a game. But the revenge you get back is like, we knew he made the wrong call and now we don't have to deal with him for two or three weeks. Fantastic. Everybody gets to come back into the game neutral it puts a perspective on referees to perform better for their role. And it also increases the flow of the game a little bit more because it, most decisions aren't now being flicked upstairs just because they want to check in case. Yeah. They are now told, like, hey, you need to check this instead of, oh, well, you know, I think this happened and then I think this happened. Can you just remind me of all of it? It's like, nah, man, you kind of just got to make the call and stick with it. Yeah, exactly. I think that I would be much happier if it was a uh, they call it and stuck with the decision, and then we seen the slow motion replay of them fucking it up. I'd be much happier if 
Doesn't matter, it's going back. The referee's made the call. Let's say he makes 300 calls a game. If he gets two wrong in that 300 calls, but he sticks to it and there's no changing it because of the bunker, I'm much more happier as a fan than fucking sitting there for thirty uh, for three minutes while the chicken time comes up and it's like, oh, yeah, it's whatever. You know, the bunker's changed the decision. You know what I mean? Yep. No, I, I agree completely. Is there any other things you want to bring up this afternoon or are you pretty happy, mate? Mate, we've gone for an hour when we were going to do 30 minutes, so I'm pretty stoked. Okay, so that's our episode for this week. I apologize that I was only able to get one guest. Next week, I'll be bringing two brand new guests onto the show. I think I'm going to keep that up. I really enjoy talking with new perspectives every week. It's better than the same old, same old. Follow us at Bums on the Bench on any social media. Leave us a rating. Leave us a like. Leave us a review. Andy puts out reels every week of some of our highlighted moments of the show. So if you've seen any of them, give them a like or share them to your friends. It's an very, very easy way to support us in what we do is just by taking the two seconds to go, huh, someone will enjoy this bullshit take that Jack said or someone will enjoy them yelling at Andy and share those things around your group of mates because we like talking about sport and we assume that most people out there enjoy sport too. Andy, have you got anything to say? Uh, I'm sorry Josh decided to get stuck in traffic because he went to work today like a pleb. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm on holidays. Um, But apart from that, thank you guys, and we'll see you next week. All right, see you, everyone.